Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you saw that the Wisconsin State Supreme Court overturned the state's stay-at-home order. Shocking. (laughs) What are they thinking to do such a thing? Well, hopefully, this will follow in some other states, many other states. If need be, if these stay-at-home orders stay in place, one business owner near Gresham, Wisconsin, Ann Retzlaff. She owns a business called Annie's Campground. And on the Annie's Campground Facebook page, she put up the following message, masks are not allowed in the buildings for safety's sake. They are viewed as a robbery in progress and will be handled that way. Interesting, don't you think? She posted that to dissuade anyone who enters her campground with the intent of doing harm. I added no masks when entering my main building because this is the perfect time for the bad guys to take advantage of any small business and rob them because it is now normal to wear a mask. A couple days ago, several small businesses in Shawano were robbed or the attempt was made to rob them. She went on to say, now I do understand that there are people who wear a mask because of their delicate health situation, like cancer or a recent surgery. I know these people. And their stature is much different than that of a six-foot-two male entering an establishment aggressively with intent to do harm. This matter of these masks, have you seen the advertisements online and what have you for, you know, more fashionable masks, right? And they all look horrible. They all look like something out of a horror movie. But, I mean, that's the effect it has, whether you agree with that or not. These various black ones in particular and other strange hybrids, like the congressman who wore one with, I don't know, what was displayed on it, something like the flag or whatever, still looked horrible. The least offensive ones, in my view, are those like you see in hospitals. But, in any case, this is something that I referenced in a previous program about this doctor, this woman doctor, who said she would not wear a mask. And that it was un-American for people to cover their faces. Unlike in Islamist regimes, 
Well, on a slightly different note, but a related note, J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny, it has filed for bankruptcy. Why is that, do you suppose? Well, of course, J.C. Penny, along with Macy's and major, major retailers, former Filene's, maybe it's not former, it's former around here, but they've taken a horrible, horrible beating for years now, courtesy of the seismic shift of retail to online. But this was the last straw. This lockdown nationwide for the COVID-19 pandemic, it has ushered in bankruptcy for J.C. Penney. Imagine, imagine if when we come out of this, even though the WHO has said one official there, has declared to the world that we may never be rid of this COVID-19 pandemic. But when we come out of this, how many retail establishments will not have bit the dust? Jim Cramer opined that it would be merely... Amazon, Costco, and Walmart that would survive if this was extended, this lockdown was extended. It's one thing for mom and pop shops to be destroyed courtesy of government measures, chiefly from Democrat governors, I might add, but It's another for major national and beyond corporations such as JCPenney, which goes back to before the Great Depression. The Great Depression didn't end it, but this has. Meanwhile, you perhaps have heard about tension, stress, between the White House Coronavirus Task Force and the White House administration, period, of President Trump and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention down in Atlanta, Georgia. Tensions over what, you may ask? Is it just personalities, just a clash of personalities? No. Dr. Deborah Burks, the coordinator of the President's Coronavirus Task Force. She has known Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, for decades. They've worked together on HIV research and so forth. And she spoke up for him on his behalf following a certain faux pas recently. But tensions are mounting. Stress is increasing. And it has to do with a number of things. One, of course, the enormity of this. But Dr. Burks believes that 
the way that the CDC gathers data on the coronavirus is antiquated, resulting in inaccurate and delayed numbers on virus cases and virus-related deaths. And she has been expressing her dissatisfaction recently. But that's one thing. The matter of reporting, which can have to do with methodology and also can have to do with technology. And the CDC is currently working on a major modernization initiative. But it is also involved with its methodology and giving the state and local health departments ability to gather data electronically in real time. And that would help with digitizing the data using modern technology which will be up and running later this year. But isn't that exciting? Technology will save the day. In technology, we trust. We'll come back to that later in the program. But more than that, in addition to that, I should say, it's not just that matter of dissatisfaction with the methodology and the technology but it also has to do with their decision-making. Namely, this has to do with what the guidelines are for reopening the country. Isn't that a strange expression, reopening the country? This country is closed for business, right? Isn't that the way that comes across? Here, This pandemic has reached 188 nations or countries throughout the world. The continent of Antarctica has been spared thus far, fortunately, because if it touches Antarctica, it will undoubtedly touch everyone there. But, no, (laughs) not Antarctica, but 188 nations. Despite that, just a little over 300,000 deaths. I say just, I mean, that may sound like a staggering number, but 4.4 million cases, something like, what was it, 1.8 million or whatever that have recovered, but the guidelines concerning reopening the country. (laughs) Again, such a strange expression, reopening a country. But I thought this one quote from an official with the White House is very pithy and to the point, quote, it makes no sense for a movie theater in a rural Tennessee town with zero COVID cases to be under the same restrictions as a theater in New York, in New York City, end quote. 
He said New York, but he or she. But, again, this is a matter of the difference, the clash in guidelines. The Centers for Disease Control, you know, it's one size fits all, okay? All of the nation must undergo exactly the same thing, and the guidelines are just uniform, regardless how little sense that makes, regardless how irrational that is. And these guidelines are developed for you and I by such extremely intelligent people, right? Extremely intelligent, extremely educated, high and mighty, very accomplished people who have so little sense. But as a result of that, (laughs) that kind of thinking, groupthink there by CDC apparently, uh, there is a difference of opinion which has become quite sharp between the White House and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and is intensifying. Meanwhile, speaking of intensifying, I've mentioned a number of times about the great danger for the Navajo Nation, for Native American Indians, for Native Alaskans, for indigenous peoples, tribes in Canada, and other nations. Well, Navajo Nation has been hit very hard. And apparently, the pandemic got its foot in the door when a man attended a basketball tournament in Tucson. And then he drove back, long drive, back to a small town in the Nevada Highlands. And it just took off. He contracted it at that basketball tournament, and he took it home with him, and it just spread like wildfire from there. So that Navajo Nation has among the very highest infection rates in the United States. As I've mentioned before, one-third of the homes... In Navajo Nation are without running water. This is a terribly dry area of the country. You might call it semi-arid. This is somewhere between semi-arid and arid. And so these families, they have to haul in the water. And as I've mentioned before, there's really a housing crisis among the Native American Indians. And they live in crowded houses where self-quarantine is not possible. Additionally, many of them must drive a very long way, hours, to get to the nearest grocery store. In addition to this... There's the matter of the health problems 
which are especially high among Native American peoples, such as diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and so forth. And obesity, that so often is linked with a poor diet. But one of the greatest strengths among these peoples is how close-knit they are. They, (laughs) unlike in so much of America, these households are extremely close-knit, and devoted to one another. To most Navajo people, isolating an infected person from their family is absolutely alien to them. Unimaginable, unlike in so much of America. But this is working to their disadvantage. Their virtues are working against them. Navajo Nation... It was estimated it had a population of approximately 175,000 people. I think that is low. But the reservation, it includes territory in Arizona and New Mexico and Utah. It was stated that if this were a state, if the reservation were a state, it would be behind only New York State for the per capita rate of confirmed positive coronavirus cases. Just terrible, truly. And they're not even able to go about conducting funerals For those who have passed away the way they would normally. They normally gather for four days of mourning. But this crisis has forced families to have to deal with the deaths among them differently and so diametrically contrary to their ways. Fortunately, doctors from the Federal Indian Health Service, as well as community health nurses, volunteer doctors, as well as nurses and EMTs who have come in from across the country, in addition to National Guard, have helped. But the situation has been dire. Exhaustion among the medical professionals, understaffed hospitals, undersupplied, and with the sickest of the Navajo infected having to be flown to larger hospitals off of the reservation, away from their families and loved ones.
Just It's just a terrible situation. But the Navajo Nation is attending to one another. They're leaving boxes of food, supplies on the steps of elders' homes, in grocery bags hanging from posts, fence posts. This is a people who are so admirable for their love for one another. For them, togetherness is a sign of tradition and strength. But, though they are a strong people, their very strengths are being turned against them by this pandemic. I mentioned in the previous program at the very end of the program, and I got pressed for time about this man, Brian Marksbury, who was murdered trying to help the police chase down a man who had pulled a gun on a woman, and it was reported that she was with him. I don't know that that was the case. I think it's entirely likely, reasonable, that he was attempting to kidnap her, rape her, so forth. That sounds much more plausible. He pulled a gun on a woman at the Deerbrook Mall in Humboldt, Texas, outside of Houston. And police officers were alerted to the disturbance. They responded, and the suspect, so-called suspect, don't you love it? when they refer to people that have committed murders and so forth as a suspect. Well, the murderer began to run. And Brian Marksbury, he couldn't stand by and he went after him. Unarmed. Unarmed he went after him, even while the police are going after this, again, would-be kidnapper, rapist, murderer, And he caught up with him before the police did. And the destroyer murdered him. This father of two little boys, three years of age, eight years of age. The police caught up with the murderer. So this was for naught. This was totally for naught. It would have been a different situation. If there had been no one to help, if there had been no police, that wasn't the case. And again, he wasn't armed because, of course, you know, reasonable, upstanding, law-abiding people, they should not carry firearms. No, only the criminals and the police. Right? Isn't that the ideal? (laughs) Well, his mother, Jacqueline Marksbury, she said of her son, I know he had a heart of gold and he helped anywhere he could, but today just shouldn't have been the day. I just miss him, and now I'm not going to get the phone call every day that I always got from him. He was the best father anybody could ever want. 
He loved his children. He always went out, did things with them, played ball. I'm never going to see him again. Oh, but justice will be done. Justice will prevail. Let's kid ourselves about that, shall we? Because, of course, the police took the murderer captive instead of shooting him for murdering this man after having attempted to kidnap, rape, murder, take hostage a woman. Right? This is the way things should be. You know, the murderers, the kidnappers, they should never be shot. They should never be killed. It should only be, you know, if somebody refuses to stop for police, someone who is not armed and who's wanted for petty this or petty that, and they flee, and then they can shoot them. All right? How many times have you seen that? Meanwhile. Before I continue, let me say I'm Brad Thomas and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that's on me. That's due to me. That's my fault. But it appalls me. I've seen this over and over and over again, read of it numerous, numerous, numerous times, where some destroyer not only has committed heinous murders, destructions previously, but is currently in the act of doing so, has murdered one, two, three, is continuing to try to murder others, and the police take them captive. And then we begin this wonderful judicial proceeding by which if this occurs in a state where there is death penalty, if they are charged with first-degree murder, which just doesn't happen in New York State, for instance, unless it happens to be a gangland killing or killing of a policeman, policewoman, so forth. Or VIP, you know, one of the really important people instead of the people like us. If they're charged with first-degree murder, if it's not pled down, if they're convicted, if they're sentenced to be executed, the whole process ends up taking, you know, 25 years and costing millions and millions and millions to taxpayers who struggle to pay (laughs) for the basic necessities of life. Of course, if it's in one of these other states where there is no death penalty, then that is completely off the table. But by all means, take them captive, these slaughterers and destroyers, so that they can be released back into society to prey upon more. And so that vast multitudes of other destroyers can be emboldened, encouraged to do the same, that they will be rewarded for it. If you think for one single solitary moment 
that failing to execute the murderers, the destroyers, is not rewarding them. You're not looking at it properly. I assure you, they view it that way, as that they are being rewarded. They spit on the judicial system. If I criticize the judicial system, oh, I'm terrible for that. But all of these spit on it, laugh at it. It's just, it's a great state of affairs. But a lovely young woman from North Carolina, mother of a toddler, of a lovely, beautiful little girl, This young woman, Monica Moynan, she went missing back in, when would it have been? It wasn't reported until July of 2019, but that was four months after she was murdered. (laughs) I'll get to that in a moment, how that happened. She wasn't reported missing for four months, so was reported missing in July. So what's that, March? March 2019? So she lived in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Well, the fellow described as being her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend who was 21 years older than her, divorced, and looks evil, (laughs) evil evil-looking on the outside and evil on the inside. His former wife has now been charged as an accessory after the fact, at least, (laughs) And I happen to think she probably was involved in the murder. But Brian Sluss, 44, and his former wife, Jarlin Lisbeth Sluss. His former wife has been charged with obstruction of justice and accessory after the fact. For involvement in covering up the crime. Meanwhile, this lovely young woman. It is believed that she may have been pregnant at the time that she was murdered. Just so happens that Brian Sluss and his former wife, they texted Moynan's friends and relatives from her phone for months And so, no missing persons request was put in for four months of time. How does that make any sense? Really? This is a young mother. She had a beautiful toddler whom she undoubtedly had left with her mother. How is it this insane, insane age that we have that texts pass for communication in a case like this. The fact that she has not returned 
to take care of her little girl, that should have set off all of the necessary bells and alarms and whistles for her to have been investigated, her disappearance to have been investigated within 24 hours, not four stinking months. What is wrong with this picture? Oh, but text messages, nothing by voice, nothing by video, but text messages. Of all the stupid, stupid people, all of her friends and family and what have you. Four months later, (laughs) she's reported missing. What else is wrong with this picture? It's something that's wrong in so very, very, very many cases. Lovely young woman. In this case, a single mother, 23 years of age. Very pretty, very sweet looking. And she takes up with a divorced man, 21 years her senior, who looks like a devil. You know, once upon a time, not terribly long ago, it would have been difficult to run a background check on someone, right? But in this day and age, in 2019, when this took place, this would have been difficult to run a background check on him? Really? He had a history of arrests for assault. He had a history of multiple arrests for assault. And this lovely young mother, she had taken out a restraining order, a domestic violence protection order against him. And it didn't occur to anybody in her family that there was something suspicious and wrong about her not returning to her little girl until four months had passed because text messages were coming in. A lovely young woman, but a foolish young woman. And an ignorant family. And what is wrong with the police department? Just horrendous. Just a horrendous thing. But speaking of horrendous, you probably saw about Evelyn May Boswell, 15-month-old little girl, just terrible. Her body was found in Sullivan County, property belonging to a family member. There was a 17-day search for this little girl across three states, this toddler. An amber alert had been issued two weeks prior. She hadn't been seen since December. Her mother, 18-year-old Megan Boswell, was arrested for filing a false report about her disappearance. just terrible. I don't know what happened. I don't know what took place. I just know this precious little girl is dead. Meanwhile, Gannon Stouch, 
I may be mispronouncing that. Maybe it's stock or some other way to be pronounced, but his body was found in Florida by Department of Transportation road crew that were doing work around US 90 and the Escambria River Bridge. An autopsy was performed. And it indicated that this was Gannon Stouch. Meanwhile, his stepmother, not his mother, she's been reported as being his mother. No, his stepmother, Letitia Stouch. She faces first degree murder charge in connection with his death. Why? Because <laughs> you tell me. I don't, I don't know. Because... Florida law is different. I don't know. She was arrested in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But again, this was not New York State. So (laughs) faces first degree murder. Meanwhile, Gannon's father, Albert, he spoke about his son, about Gannon. He said that he was a miracle baby. He weighed only one pound, six ounces at birth. Let me repeat that. This 11-year-old boy at birth weighed one pound, six ounces. The father went on to say, even today, he's still our miracle child. He still is, and he's such a happy child, and he just brings life to every party. His smile, even today, is keeping us going. His infectious smile brings me joy every time I think about it. End quote. I hate that term. I've always hated the use of that term, infectious, to refer to something good. But not blaming the father for saying that. But the question is this. This little boy who's 11 years of age and still a sweet darling boy at that age. The luster was not off of the rose there. Why is it that his father and his mother were no longer together? Why is it that there was this evil stepmother involved? Because divorce has become so rampant. And even though they were given a miracle baby, that wasn't enough to keep them together. His father, Albert Stouch, His mother, Landon Hyatt. Instead, Albert takes this Letitia Stouch. And he has now filed for divorce from her. I would say that's a little bit too late. Too little, too late. Right? But so... So common. Usually, the scenario is of a woman divorcing her husband, being divorced by her husband, whatever, taking a boyfriend, so-called. Man friend, lover man, who then abuses, rapes, abuses, murders the children, that sort of thing. That's, That's the usual scenario as compared to it being a woman who comes into the picture. But speaking of women who come into the picture, 
there was a terrible, deadly car crash in Southern California. And it was during spring break, March 2018. And this woman, a lovely-looking woman, Banny Duarte. I'm assuming Banny is short for something. I don't know. Banny Duarte, a 29-year-old mother of four. She had been out drinking the night before. It was estimated she'd had nine drinks before she plowed her her vehicle, not an SUV, into an SUV that was stopped at a red light on the Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington, California. I'm assuming this is adjacent to Huntington Beach, especially since it's Pacific Coast Highway. The wreck caused the SUV to be pushed out into the intersection, but there's not a single solitary word about any other vehicles striking that vehicle. Nonetheless, it burst into flames after it struck a pole and a girl, 17 years of age, Brooke Hawley, A boy, 17 years of age, Albert Rossi. And from the name I can't tell, boy or girl, 18-year-old Dylan Mack. The way names are used now, could be either. Was also killed. They were all killed, Brooke, Albert, and Dylan. And a fourth teenager whose name is withheld suffered critical burns, but survived. The blood alcohol level was approximately in excess of three times the legal limit for drivers in California. And she had been speeding along at approximately estimated 80 miles per hour before striking the SUV. And it was stated that there was no evidence of her having hit the brakes before having this crash. Now, she was not charged with vehicular manslaughter. She was charged with three counts of second-degree murder and a single count of driving under the influence of alcohol causing bodily injury. Now, when you consider that the worst, most heinous, monstrous, sadistic, torturous, premeditated slaughters that can be committed when they are committed in places like New York State, they're charged with second-degree murder. But I do find it interesting. Instead of vehicular manslaughter, which would be much more common, she was charged and convicted on three counts of second-degree murder. And again, on this other count of causing bodily injury while driving under the influence. She has been sentenced to 45 years to life on the three charges of murder and six years for the driving under the influence. She's been in jail 
since this took place. Now, I am not saying that there's something wrong with that sentence. She is due to serve approximately 51 years, this 29-year-old mother. What I have a problem with is the unevenness of justice. I've mentioned before that, again, if we're going to use the best, truest, most righteous source historically that there is, the Bible, that for something like this, anything other than a case of a person dying as a result of completely unintended, accidental, true accident, anything other than that, the person would be executed. The person causing the death would be executed that the only time there was a possibility of them being spared was if there was no attack made. So they're out cutting down a tree, and the axe head slips off of the axe and flies through the air and hits someone, killing them. That sort of thing. Not that they were trying to murder somebody and they ended up murdering somebody else in the process. No, not that or crippled somebody else in the process, critically injured, critically wounded somebody else in the process. No, that didn't pass for accidental. It does in the United States of America, including in the great state of South Carolina, among others. But the unevenness of justice. I remember a case. I recall a case. This was back somewhere in the vicinity of 2015. There was a woman who was a lawyer. And I believe she was a woman of color, a younger woman, but she committed hit and run vehicular murder of a nanny and a baby in a stroller who were crossing. I can't remember if it was in a crosswalk or otherwise. But I know this woman barreled into over through them, killing them. In Southern California. And I believe they were in a crosswalk. I'm quite sure they were. What did she receive? She spent, if I am, if I remember correctly, one day in jail. Total. Total. One day. Compared to 51 years for this woman. She didn't have the excuse of being drunk either. And furthermore, it was hit and run. Hit and run murder. And she received, if I recall correctly, one day. I might be wrong. Maybe she was in jail for three days. Okay, she was put on, I think she got parole. One-year parole or something like that. Well, that's fair, right? That's only two deaths, a baby and a nanny. This is three teenagers plus a fourth critically burned. This woman, 51 years. That woman, a day or two or three in jail. In jail, not in prison. 
oh, well, that is the way our justice system works in the United States of America. And both of these cases were in Southern California. So you can't go and say, well, wait a minute, different states. No, same state, same part of the state, so forth. Meanwhile, another case of vehicular homicide, murder, different charges again. This woman, Anne-Marie Drago, she drove her SUV over a New York mother, Evelyn Rodriguez, back in September 2018. So later the same year as this other incident of the teenagers dying. This woman, Anne-Marie Drago, she drove her SUV over a woman in the road, a New York mother, Evelyn Rodriguez. Evelyn Rodriguez had been pointed out by the president, Donald Trump, for her crusade against gang violence. This woman, Evelyn Rodriguez, she was murdered after confronting Anne-Marie Drago for trashing a memorial that Evelyn had set up for the second anniversary marking her daughter's murder. And where was that 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 took place? On a suburban Long Island street in front of Drago's mother's home that was up for sale. And Drago was concerned it would scare off potential buyers. How about murdering a woman in the street, the mother of that girl that was murdered with her girlfriend, murdered by a monstrous evil MS-13 gang, hacked together with machetes. But why wouldn't she be concerned that that would scare off potential buyers, huh? This hit-and-run murder was recorded by a television news crew (laughs) that was rolling. There was a congressman there ready to head to the scene in Brentwood for a vigil at the time this took place. So what is this woman going to get? This woman who murdered the mother of this girl that had been murdered, she faces up to four years in prison in New York State. New York State. It just doesn't get better than New York State, does it? Really. What was she found guilty of? Criminally negligent homicide. Criminally negligent murder. Petite larceny. Petit larceny. Petty larceny. And criminal mischief. Interesting, hey? Justice in America. What a wonderful thing. In technology, we trust, I mentioned earlier on. In technology, we trust. In AI, we trust. In artificial intelligence versus what we will, in fact, experience via artificial intelligence, supercomputing, quantum computing. We imagine that it's going to be all roses and all good. All the advertisements, whether they are from IBM 
or whether they are from Amazon or whomever are putting them out there, it's all going to make our lives better, richer, healthier, safer, all of that. When in point of fact, it is setting the stage, setting the table for worldwide regime takeover. And not just of this sort or that sort, but of the exact type, the exact fulfillment of prophecy from the Bible. The worst regime the world's ever seen is going to come to this earth. (laughs) I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But, Perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.